Hello, and welcome to Production Wise, the podcast in which we listen to the complete discographies of the world's great producers in search of their defining sound. I'm one of the people that does that. I'm James. I'm joined by the other person that does that. He's Graham. Hello there, Graham. Hello there. Hi, Graham. Hi. Always nice to say hello twice to Graham. Um, this week is a very exciting episode. Um, I was very much looking forward to recording this one, and the listening did not disappoint. This week, we are digging into the first half of the very surprisingly varied um, discography of the late great pop punk producing legend Jerry Finn. Um, I don't know about you, Graham. I love Jerry. Do you love Jerry? I love Jerry. Jerry seemed like he was a really lovely chap. What a top fella. That's sort of what this podcast is. It's like a sort of indoctrination system to make me and Graham love people we've never heard of before. Um, we're going to be digging into the first half of his uh, discography in, in this episode. Now, I say pop punk king. Obviously, we are going to be dealing with a lot of those great artists that Graham's going to mention in a moment. But there is a little bit more to it with Graham than that. Who are we going to be talking about in this episode here, Graham? Uh, we're going to be talking about Rancid, Smoking Popes, mm. Super Drag. And we might even might even talk about Blink One Eighty Two. I we are. We'll talk about all. We're going to talk about all three of the albums that uh, Jerry produced, Graham. So don't. There's no. Don't add a tentative note to that at all because it's <laughs> it's totally unjustified. Um, yes, we're going to be talking about about the three big uh, Blink One Eighty Two albums. Neither of us are big Blink One Eighty Two fans, but we gave them a fair shake, and I think there was a lot to enjoy, even within a band that we're not huge fans of. I would say, Graham. Yes, I would say that is accurate. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for confirming what I said. That means that people can trust what I said. But I'm going to stop uh, blathering Graham and let people enjoy our exploration of the first half of the discography of Jerry Finn. I think it's fair to say at this point, James, that... Mm. When you look through Jerry's production discography, he's most known for really knocking it out of the park with some really notable pop punk albums. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the main. No, no, no question about that. Yeah. That's the main sort of genre we'll be covering here. Um, I just want to say before we start, growing up, I did have some pop punk prejudice. Uh, you know, mm. I'm not, I'm not mm. pleased with myself. You know, it was there. I, I thought it was lesser. I was a yeah. pretentious indie sad boy, and I couldn't oh. get down with the tunes, you know. But having gone through this process, I am now a pop punk apologist. So, whoa, you know, I'm looking forward to getting into this. Okay, that's that's interesting to hear. I think you're being a bit harsh on yourself there, Graham. Personally, I thought you were a very nice young man <laughs> uh, when I knew you as a teenager. Um, but yeah, pop punk is the is the, is the word here. Um, I I I mean, as well as all the various stuff that was going on in the world in the early two thousands, pop punk was a big one. Um, but I actually think the number of really really big bands and big albums is actually is quite limited. Um, you know, and and I think we, other than perhaps Green Day, we're really going to be covering. I would say all the big ones. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Man, I think I think like Green Day, Newfound Glory. Um, I can't really think of any other big major bands that we won't be covering in this episode. 
um it, you know this this is this is the big stuff we're talking about here and I, I mean i had my problems with with pop punk at the time but i i did i wanted to like it i wanted to kind of like everything and i think pop punk was so ubiquitous at the time as far as big singles and things like that were concerned you know even when even when the indie boom was going on in the mid 2000s i did want to get in on it you know i just did, i just didn't like it <laughs> you know but i did give it a go and tried to and and tried to make the best of it i think i got on much much better with pop punk but we'll come we'll we'll get into that as we, as we go along i think i did want to ask you though graham ahead of of the stuff that we talk about do you think that uh, jerry finn is I, I, you know, obviously people say he's like the king of pop punk. Pop punk is more or less his sound. But do you think he's somewhat dismissed as a pop punk producer? You know, it's like that's all there is to him. No, I, I think he would be if he'd not worked for some of the artists later on in the production discography that we'll get into. But I think near the end of his career, it sort of widens out outside of pop punk a bit. Yeah, I also think that pop punk gets outside of its own genre conventions a little bit and strangely there is one pioneering band that really makes that happen (laughs) and pioneering is not a word you would use to describe them earlier on in their career maybe um but again we'll come to that a little bit later so jerry finn um i think his his first major coup in his career was uh mixing dookie with rob Mm. cavello um, he grew sort of mm-hmm. close to Rob Cavello and he sort of knew him quite well. Um, mm. And I think you mentioned before we started recording that um, his first album he actually produced was Ill Repute, uh, Big Rusty Balls in 1993. I didn't listen to this mm. one. Uh, do, you, do you have any thoughts on that? Did anything spring out at that time? Yeah, a few. I, 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 gave, I gave it a, a cursory listen and I kind of knew that you might not have been able to find it. So so I've not I've not dug into it too much in, in my in my re-listening and stuff like that. Um, but this this was a pretty good uh, flavor setter. Is that the right word? A flavor setter, a tone setter <laughs> for for where we are at, at, at this point in time. It's I think 1994, the same year that Dookie came out. Um, and a pretty key year for this kind of music. And I think for alternative rock uh, uh, in general, uh, particularly in America. Um, and I think what this this uh, Ill Repute album says to me is, well, it, 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 kind of, it kind of has all the key elements there before they're that well established. So it's fairly working class. It's, it's quite... Uh, youth orientated I suppose it's people talking about their kind of early 20s problems of like not having enough money and you know kind of being a bit unlucky in love that kind of thing looking for a job getting fired all all that all that kind of stuff it's the fairly sort of mundane youngster subject matter that you're going to get from a lot of these these lyrics even when people are a bit too old to be singing lyrics like that um and what you do have as well is that very bright, punchy, buoyant, light, crunchy. It's like a lovely uh, uh, a sort of um, a pastry. I'm describing here, really, um, <laughs> that you get from that you get from a lot of uh, Jerry Finn albums. And we'll see we'll see it kind of done better as time goes on. Um, you know, this isn't like a brilliant singer, for example, um, but. These are tunes. The thing is, the thing is with this um, 
early pop punk as well is it doesn't really like i say it doesn't really have those genre conventions just yet so it's more or less a mixture of like melodic hardcore punk and alt rock rather than it being that real tom delong blink 182 some 41 sound that we come to later on this sounds a little bit more grown up than than some of the pop punk or or, or detractors of pop punk might might level at it i would say so his his first proper album that we we're going to dig into now is um about time which was recorded in 1995 uh, by pennywise and mm. it was produced under the watchful eye of um epitaph founder and bad religion guitarist Brett Guritz. And I think... <laughs> Sorry, that's not his name. No? What's his name? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I mean, like, you know, those are the letters in his name, but... but... Go on, go on. You, you... Brett, Ger... Brett Gerwitz. Yeah, Gruitz. Gruism. Grui. <laughs> Sorry. I'll call him Sorry. Brett. Um... Brett. Brett, the lovely Brett. And... I think, you know, Jerry had a nice relationship going with Epitaph for the next couple of um, recordings. Have you ever mm-hmm. listened to Pennywise before? No, I, I mean, I've, I've heard them, you know, they're, they're the kind of band that you hear around. And when I looked up the music video for, uh, I think it was Every Single Day or what, one of the tunes on this on this album, I looked up the music video last night and I, it actually was familiar I remember this this kid like skateboarding around and looking through the record shop and his dad telling him, don't drink milk out of the carton. Um, that's quite fun. But I don't think really Pennywise, at least by the time I was getting into music in the early 2000s, I don't think Pennywise had much profile here in the UK. I think they're much more of an American band uh, as, you know, as far as like popular notoriety is concerned. Have you, have you ever had much experience with, with Pennywise? No, no, it's... I've never ever heard of them before. Never heard of them. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, what did you think? I, I think for me, I could instantly hear there was something different from when you put on a sort of punk album of that time. There's there's definitely a quality yeah. here that is missing in some other albums I've heard from that time. I think I think the the good thing that we get from Pennywise is they're definitely you can tell they've got a bit more of a hardcore background. Um, so whereas that that ill repute album was yeah it's very kind of alt rock flavored with a bit of a pop punk twist to it this is very much melodic hooky chorus driven hardcore um so what we get from brett is a really nice crunch like you get all the palm muted guitars coming in the super fast chugging some of it is actually quite blistering um particularly near the end of the album um but also that 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 uh, it's, it's like the slightly more hard-edged version of the Bad Religion album that we listened to when we did the um, the Rico Kasich episode. Definitely not as polished or as, or as expensive sounding as that album, though. Would you agree? Yeah, that was the Grey Race, wasn't it? The Grey Race. Yeah, this is definitely sounding a lot scrappier and I, I, you know, to be honest, cheaper. Um, but I think that does have a certain amount of charm to it at this point. You know, I kind of hoped that we would at least get some of this very, yeah, kind of thin sounding pop punk from the from the two, from the from the mid nineties. Um, otherwise, I think I'd feel a bit cheated if we just got the super refined stuff. 
my understanding of of Jerry Finn is he kind of takes the torch from Brett Gerwitz and makes everything super poppy uh, and and very refined and very produced. But I think I think you know you do get a handful of these quite straight up albums. Did you enjoy this one, Graham? I did. Um, like the track, not far away had some extreme mm-hmm. riffage going on mm. punchy vocals like last minute just like rocks I, I thought there were some really good tunes on this album yeah i mean i th- i think pennywise have got a bit of a political edge and when they're doing those sorts of songs i think the tune can fall flat a little bit you know, it's not they don't have the best singer in the world, and he doesn't really make much of a much of an impact on some of these songs. But when it feels a bit more personal, and when he's talking about you know his own empowerment and his own life and kind of doing what he wants to do, there's there's a bit more there's a bit more to it. I thought the song "Searching" was great, um, and was just a real feel good tune. Um, Tonight I will rage against the forces of fate. You better get out of my way, he said. And I think about uh, half the songs on this album, he said, you better get out of my way. Um, <laughs> very impatient man. I thought, I thought he's a very impatient man. I can relate, man. Uh, you know, I, I can really relate, particularly during COVID. Um, yeah, and in fact, some of, the, some, of the, some of the choruses, when he kind of got into the groove a little bit and focused more on the melody they really, really took off. There were some, there were some songs that I would probably listen to outside of the context of this, of this podcast, I would say. Um, do you think there were any sort of production precedents set on this one, though, Graham? Um, I think it's the start of these nice, warm guitars that we're going to hear more and more of. Oh, and, and the way yeah. he's working with amps and things, and he's clearly starting to build up his own private guitar collection and stuff, which I hear he sort of carted around. He was known for sending around just boxes and boxes of equipment to the studio to really help get mm. the right sound for each album he was producing. Good on Jerry. Charitable. <laughs> I think he kept them afterwards. I also, I, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, he's. I mean, you know, it's just convenient. You'd rather keep them at the studio than in your own house. Um, yeah. No, I, I also think yeah, there is definitely the warmth of the guitars, though here they're a bit crunchier and more aggressive. Um, but also there's that kind of very noodly bass, that kind of bass that comes in. We'll hear it a lot more on some of these other albums. Um, and yeah, the kind of like there's a there's there's a big drum sound, but it's not very deep and booming. It's like the the, the 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 drummer gets all over the kit, but it doesn't feel chaotic because he keeps it quite thin and light. Um, yeah, I know it's it's a it's a decent enough album. Best the best songs are pretty good. So next we've got. Um... And Out Come the Wolves by Rancid, uh, also mm. released in 1995. Now, you've heard of... Have you heard this album before? I'd not ever listened to this album before. I knew the singles, but singles. I've never listened to the album before. Same here. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. Time Bomb, Roots Radical, like, mm. I didn't necessarily Ruby love Soho. them. Yeah, Ruby Soho. I didn't necessarily love them, but they were... I remember them being around, like, everywhere. Yeah, well, it was it was when like yeah in the in the in the early two thousands they this album was definitely seen as a a big influential kind of untouchable classic album, yeah. um, and I, 
Yeah, I, I don't know why I've never listened to this album before. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. Um, but it's, it's, it's a different vibe. This is not Pennywise in the slightest, no, this is, I would this say. This is like Scar Punk. punk. Yeah, it's a lot more of a British sound as well. Yeah. It's that sort of Camden, hanging around on the bridge in Camden kind of punk. Um, yeah, much more of an oi sound and a roots reggae sound, loads of organ and ska. Um, this 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 album's pretty. What well, I do? Okay, Graham, what did you think about of, of uh, an outcome the walls? I think this is one of the perfect ones to show how good his production is, even if you don't like the music. You know, I'm not mm. a massive ska punk fan anymore. I might have been Ooh. a bit younger. Um, but even listening now, like, they just, they, all the songs sound amazing. Whether they're good songs or not, they sound incredible. The bass on this album. Yeah, well, the, the thing, I think the bass playing on this album is is really excellent. Um, you know, there's there's a few instances of, of really good bass solos as well. Um, and the the noodly wriggly wiggly sound that you get all over Jerry Finn albums, and I suppose probably generally '90s punk albums uh, all the time, is very very prominent on this album. Um, but I would say the biggest strength this has going for it is the vocal trade off, the vocal trade off, sorry, between Lars Fredriksson and Tim Armstrong. Um, they just they're just constantly tag teaming in and out changing roles constantly one of them will be doing backing vocals while the other one's doing the verse then the person doing backing vocals is the one to sing the chorus and they just they just kind of swap back and forth and it gives this it gives it this really um celebratory um uh, uh exciting unpredictable feeling to it where you just feel like the hooks and the point of the song and what is good about the song is just popping up and changing position constantly. I just I just found this song to be a real rush of excitement the whole time. It seemed very happy to be itself, this album, you know what I mean? Um, there's not a bad mood moment on this album at all. You know what I mean? It's it's just so it's just so happy. They're all all the songs are about like friendship and and brotherhood and all, all this stuff all the good punk stuff you know um yeah i don't know did you did you uh, this this doesn't look like it lifted your spirits growing this album I, no i mean it, it, it put me in a good mood um yeah i just you know it's not my, it's just not my thing but i it's just not your thing i love you know like roots radical i love them name checking all the reggae and stuff they were into and sort of mm-hmm. paying service to that time bomb is a classic song you know, that's the one. Yeah. If you are go ever go to a rock club, you're bound to hear that at least once. Or normally, like when you go to see certain bands, that'll be played beforehand. You know, to like rile the yeah, crowd true. up yeah, while you're yeah. waiting for the for support act. Um, I really liked "Lock, Step, and Gone." That was kind of like a Clash song. Me too. That was my favorite on the album. Lock, that Step, was a good and gone. one. Uh, yeah, that was that was a happy time. Um, yeah, you know what it is though. It's it's. It's it's the it's the variety of guitar tones they use. So like they they never they never sound the same from kind of style to style. There's a lots of songs on this album, even though it's not very long. Um, so they, you get lots of different lots of different um, uh, styles and genre or genres within this very tight punk oi sound. Um, 
but everything has its own little approach, its own rhythmic approach, its own guitar tones. Um, sometimes they're more or less harsh on the vocals. They just do a good job of changing up from song to song. Um, and they sound very, very together as a band. Yeah, just you just you just feel the, the the chemistry and the camaraderie the whole time in this real like hack and slash ramshackle way. It's a, I mean, it's a pretty faultless album. It's you, there's nothing really to criticize on this, I don't think. And it sounds, it just sounds beautiful. The 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 range of guitar tones on here. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Um, there's a one track I think near the end, avenues and alleyways. And that's oh, that's yeah. like that wall of sound production is so good. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so that's Rancid, um, and that that's like a seminal pop punk album, right? That's probably the well, yeah, one of the first seminal ones that he's put his stamp on. Uh, next, we've yeah, got yeah. "Make Your Mama Proud," the debut album by Fastball, who are another sort of rock pop punk band. Sort of. So this is again, nineteen ninety. This is nineteen ninety six now. Yeah, nineteen ninety six. I'd never heard of of Fastball before, um, but this album was a total pleasure. I think. I mean, the thing they're doing here, I just love. I love the mood it sets. For me, it says it's it's two for one tequila night at the roadside. Mexican restaurant slash bar. Nobody's there. The band is playing. They're all wearing shirts that have somebody's name sewn into the into the pocket. They're all fat. They've all got sideburns. But they're great. You know what I mean? It's got this like really lonely, nobody's listening <laughs> kind of kind of feeling to it. Um, did you enjoy this one? I did. I I think it. It's quite an underrated album. Um, I think after they released this, they all had to go back to like their day jobs because it just didn't work. Oh. And then they released their second album, All the Pain Money Can Buy. And that like right. had like loads of singles. But I had a quick listen to that album, and that album is more sort of like alt rocky, sort of radio friendly. But I prefer oh. this stuff. This is like I, I think it's Jerry's production. It's it just sounds so fat got some fat beats some fat beats yeah i I don't know if i agree with you on the fat beats graham but uh, (laughs) yeah i i I, well at this point in time the the big the two big influences i can hear on this album and and a handful of the albums we'll talk about in this little set is green day and nirvana yeah um and i suppose those really were the two big influential influential bands of the era um but yeah, there's a certain sluggish, sort of steady Nirvana quality to a lot of the the rhythms and melodies used here, um, with the, the the just like glorious, boisterous, larger than life, Green Day sound from from Dookie and I suppose Nimrod as well, even though Nimrod wasn't yet out. Um, but what I loved about this was. While it is a kind of you could call, you can call this a punk album really, um, but there's no noise or unpleasantness to it at all. Everything is totally clear and clean, without being massively polished and poppy. So it, I, I I wrote pop pleasantness 
Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a pleasant experience the whole time, and you just you just get you just get joyful melodies, big showboating performances with these like lots of stop starts, showy offy bits, um, and the hooks other than you know the really great vocal hooks and melodies and things like that really come from how well the band play off each other, um, as we'll see with a, with a, with a few of these, but yeah, it's it's like this kind of hyper poppy. Nirvana with zero angst. There's a bit of like heart heartbreak on this album, and a bit of misery and loneliness, but there's no real anger or angst here. Um, it's just kind of like, yeah, I suppose guys hard on their luck, making no waves in the music industry, and facing having to go back to their day jobs. Um, also, every single snare hit here is like a champagne cork going off. It's so like it's so bouncy and chirpy and lovely and light um yeah there there are actually tons of really good songs on here what were some of your favorites oh she comes around um the the title track make your mama proud has a beautiful stop start moment where they they keep coming in like just a beat early after they go silent um yeah boomerang that's a that's a wonderful wonderful song um yeah i just i just i just thought this 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 just had it from beginning to end it's wonderful what about you i really liked um nothing they're sort of trade then where they're trading their vocals and stuff and then their harmonies and all the melodies all the vocals albums really stood out to me as you said it is just very very nice listen very easy mm. good listen it kind of reminded me like if you went to see a ba- an unknown band and you'd feel like hey i'm just discovering this band you know, right, and they right, haven't right. they haven't hit it big yet, and I guess that is exactly accurate of what they were at the time. Um, Knock it down, I really liked. I, that that was like catchy, sort of okay, the vocals. Okay. Knock it down, and then there was like a nice little guitar solo, like one minute in as well. I also really liked uh, Seattle. They're nice little. Oh, it's lovely, particularly this time of year. <laughs> The song James, the song which was, oh, I imagine, oh. their tribute to a musical genre. Um, mm. Yeah, this is a good album. Very underappreciated. Yeah, album. very, very charming. Yeah, kind of sadly underrated. And also, I mean, looking at it in in this discography, you know, like you look at the the album cover, which has got like the dunce, the kid in the dunce cap, sat on the stool in front of the chalkboard. You just think, oh, this is going to be this is just going to be rubbish, you know. But it, it was so much more charming and and well put together, well composed. Um, I think so many of these bands here, you're working with really great songs, you know, and that 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 goes a long way. <laughs> Next band we're going to cover is um, Smoking Popes, which incredible incredible band name there. Just smoking popes. Smoking popes. Love it. And then their album is Love called it. Destination Failure. Again, amazing name for an album. Already I'm on their Destination side. Destination Failure. Um, <laughs> this is 1997. Uh, mm. I don't think I'd ever listened to this, but some of it sounded very, very familiar. Really? Um, I, I'd, I mean, I, I'd heard the name of the band. I mean, I'd, I'd heard of them. That's, that's, a, that's about it. Um, but I suppose they, they've got... They've got a very of the time sound, you know. I, I would imagine there'd be quite a, quite a few 
bands that sounded like this. They might have taken actually this sound, that other bands might have done this sound in a bit more of a poppy way. Um, maybe a lot of bands who are influenced by R.E.M. or, you know, that, that sort of, that's that style of alt-rock that's a bit folky and a bit that kind of like wholesome Americana uh, influence to it. Um, did you, like I did, Graham, notice a big, big, big step up in production quality on this album? Yeah, huge. Um, it it sounds like they had, you know, it sounds like more money was spent. Where I, I imagine it wasn't the case. It's just yeah, me too. It's just a, it's just an incredibly richer sound. Uh, it kind of reminds me of like modern sort of some of the like modern Re- Weezer records. Yeah, it sounds that good. It's and f- this is like 1997 when Weezer were off making you know really weird sounding albums. It's so funny you say that, Graham, because my, my, the the biggest I've, I thought this album was was amazing. Really, I th- I thought this was such a good album. Um, and I and kind of despite how much I dislike the singer, I don't want to badmouth the singer too much because he's got such a brilliant sense of melody, um, and more or less every melody that he's singing takes these unexpected but but really natural sounding turns um to just they, they, he's just constantly doing better than you're expecting him to do but he's got this slightly kermit the frog a bit sort of honky um quality to his voice and he's got a bit of his mouth sounds a bit lazy to me i, I have a bit of misphonia and i really pick up on these sorts of things that's why i do a music production podcast because <laughs> things like that really bother me and i can't help but ignore them yeah i can't i can't ignore them um but so despite his his vocals i just found this this album to be just brilliant from beginning to end but when we came because uh, quite deep into the album there is a cover of a song from willy wonka and the chocolate factory um pure imagination and i thought did they beat weezer to this like this so sounds like a weezer move to do, to do that song and I thought, would this band be better with Rivers as the singer? If even if, like if this singer was writing the melodies, but we but but Rivers took the took the vocals because I don't love Rivers, but I think he would sit in this band really well. I don't think that's the case. I think this. <laughs> I, I was I was really like up until this point, I was like, wow, couple of albums in, we've done it, yeah. guys. This is the peak of the podcast, a classic mm. album, and then bam, yeah, out of nowhere. Pure imagination from Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. I hate it. Absolutely. Really? Oh, it's just it just he I like his vocals. Oh, I like well, his pure imagination. You know, I, I like that whole Kermit the Frog L C D sound system kind of vibe. That's cool. Okay. But it 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 shows in this one, like Right. Maybe yeah. they could have made this one instrumental. Um and one minute as opposed to nearly three minutes. But yeah. I, I just thought it was such a, I thought it was just such a good arrangement, like taking, taking that, that song and making it a rock song. You know what I mean? Like they, 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 they got the instrumentation and they got their arrangement together well enough that it sounded so natural for a rock band to be playing it. Um, I've maybe derailed us a little bit by by taking us onto that song so soon. <laughs> I just thought just just the Weezer connection that you made. The main thing that this band had going for them is just like I say, amazing melodies. 
really good chemistry in the players. Yeah. Um, they kept finding these little odd pockets in the rhythms that they were making um, and never, never quite breaking the tension with these slightly strange rhythms and counterpoints and little odd accents and things like that. Um, but Jerry gives them endless, beautiful guitar tones, totally magnificent drum sound. Like Jerry's really good at, at letting, um, letting the toms roll in your ears. Like, like he'll take, he likes to pan the, the drums a lot from one end to the other to give you that kind of surround sound 3d feeling. Um, but every hit on this has so much more to it than just striking the drum. Like there's so much texture and space, and like I, I almost found it distracting how how beautiful the sounds were. Like I, I was kind of the, the first listen, I was just listening to the sounds more than I was listening to the melodies. But then you just go, wow, they're they're really just taking this song in so many different places, and they just kept doing it over and over again. I th- I thought the the best songs as we'll find with a few of these albums or when the the warmth of the guitars swallowed the vocals a little bit and made them a little bit less prominent because it, it really really set off uh something in me but uh, yeah i just i just thought it was just one song after another that was amazing and and did this album not completely fly by yeah it was it's super nice and breezy um i quite like the little solos and things and just the, the sort of power pop element. It's yeah, yeah. And I normally, I don't normally like hearing drums recorded. I just it never for me it never never reaches the highs of going to a gig and hearing a good drummer. Okay. Um, but I found throughout all of this listening that, as you said, the way he works with drums, they sound so good, and it it yeah, is almost yeah. dis- sometimes his production is a little bit distracting just because. It's it's such a, such a high level that sometimes yeah. the band falls slightly short of that. Um, but generally, I thought this was a good album, other than that cover, which sets something off inside. <laughs> <laughs> fair, no, no, that's totally fair enough. There's no way it's not getting on the playlist, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was going to say, I know you love me. That's just been stuck in my head, like for days, probably forever, yeah, maybe. But, yeah. I, I think I will kind of, like I say, even how much that, that singer, and I, and I don't mean to say he's a bad singer, just for my taste, it really d- doesn't, is not what I would would uh, be drawn to normally. The songs are so good that I will continue listening to this album, 100%. There's so many good stuff on uh, so much good stuff on it. Um, I made a little note at this point in my listening, Graham, just before we speak about the next album. Um I said these albums are decidedly unpsychedelic. Yeah, they're what do you think? They're very that? straightforward, aren't they? They're they're not that experimental. They're more sort of honing the craft of whatever genre or subgenre of the genre that they're in. Yeah, there's these are very honest, lucid sounding albums. They really sound like people in a room. The, the, you know, the recordings themselves are really beautiful and deep. But there's not loads of extra stuff going on. I think the most extra stuff you will have heard was on that Smoking Popes album, just because the textures he brings are so varied and, and, and gorgeous. But there's nothing more than a band playing going on. And even lyrically, it's like I said, it's talking about relationships, 
jobs, friends, you know, no, n- nothing kind of otherworldly going on. I just thought, yeah, this is this is not this is not Rich Costi, you know, this is not yeah. um, this is not Mad Lib, you know, this is this is this is very lucid and grounded stuff so far. I think it's interesting with our next band that the sort of record label gave them more money for this album we're about to talk about, and you can hear it. I don't think they oh, spent yeah. it in the way the record label intended. Um, <laughs> so this is Head Trip in Every Key by uh, Super Drag in 1998. Mm-hmm. And I think their their first album or the album before that, Regretfully Yours, was like a surprise hit. So I think the label were like, okay, mm-hmm. we're giving loads of money. We'll give you this cool producer and we want you to make some radio hits. And I think mm-hmm. they were like, we're never going to get this money again. Let's just do... Mm-hmm as much as we can, you know, do mm-hmm. the things we've always wanted to do. Um, so I think this is the start of Jerry showing us, you know, that he can go further than just doing pop punk really well or power pop or, you know, just standard guitar, drum, bass. I I found this album really interesting. It's it's interesting to hear you say that, Graham. Uh, if, if you'll forgive the link I've made to your previous sentence. Um Um, if they were given a load of money for this album and it didn't benefit them at all i think what it really would have done is benefit jerry yeah you know it's it's a chance for him to really branch out it's kind of like sod the band um you know it's taken them nowhere but 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 for jerry it's like i'm really going to spread my wings on this album um yeah this was a very interesting album um not difficult to enjoy this one at all, really, was it, Graham? No. Um, a lot of the songs just, like, jump out on, like, first listen. Um, yeah. It's interesting that this this is another sort of underappreciated album. I thought as soon as I heard the second track, Hellbent, I was like, again, we're having another massive rise in production value from the last yep. album. Um, mm-hmm. It's just getting incrementally richer and more textured and now we're getting yep. more interesting instruments coming in. There's there's loads of instruments on this one. There are orchestras, saxophones, all sorts of things, strings. Yeah, lap steel. There's no there's no argument that at this point this is the most instrumentally diverse album Jerry's worked on so far as as producer. And it's it's evident from the first song I'm expanding my mind we still have these increasingly beautiful drums and, and, and deep tones and things like that. But this is, this is, this is like a folky country song really um, with a bit of an alt rock influence. And I just couldn't, I just really couldn't believe what I was hearing at this stage. I really was not expecting to hear these albums in this discography. I just thought we'd get pop punk from beginning to end with increasing production value. But the genre shift here is is really uh, shocking. There's still definitely on the rocky moments. You couldn't really call it pop punk or punk or anything like that. It's definitely the big Nirvana influence is still there, um, particularly with the melodies and the rhythms. Um, but again, I mean, this this was just like massive. Did you did you feel as well there was a there was a big shift from track to track with the tone and genre? Never really stuck in one place, this album, though it did have a pretty consistent sound. Yeah, it, it was jumping all over the place, and the only really straightforward sort of song was Do the Vampire, I guess. 
was like their sort of straightforward rocky poppy hit um and the rest all just went everywhere i've thought miss yeah. mr underground was really cool yeah miss that was their big angry song about the bloody radio all the rubbish on the radio um but the, yeah, no, the, I suppose that's their the the kind of heavy song, quote unquote heavy song on the album. But they did it without just they didn't just like turn up the overdrive on the guitars and, and make it, it. It used loads of squadgy synth sounds and it, it just did that in a very interesting way. And actually, I thought it, it built up to quite a nice guitar racket at the end, a, a decent guitar freak out as it sped up and sped up and sped up. Um Oh, did you notice a bit, a bit of a Beatles influence on this album as well? Yeah, I, I sort of Beatles when they were exploring like all the different sort of psychedelic elements, especially with like yes, sitar yes. and stuff like that. Oh, sorry, you know what? You'll have to forgive me. Me talking about the super heavy song there, I was talking about Bankrupt uh, Vibration. Ah, the one before. That's, that's me being wrong. Oh, yeah, Mr. Yes. Underground was the big sort of orchestral tune. Yes, that that's what I thought was very Beatles. It had it had really George Martin sounding brass on it. You know, when he gets that that that, that just very parpy, bold brass, um, you know, kind of like Good Morning or or what you know, you know, the the the, the that that kind of um, it had the very Salvation Army sounding uh, George Martin brass on it, which I thought was really nice. Yeah, what about that last track as well? The big the big long sitar. Eleanor Rigby, uh, there was there was all sorts of stuff going on there. The Art of Dying, yeah, that was pretty wild. Yes. Um, again, I'm kind of like surprised. I get it. People probably weren't expecting this, so it didn't sell well, and they got dropped by their label after it and stuff. But this is like a a classic album, really, right? Yeah, you you got to listen to this album. This is this is another. One. I, pro- I like the, the the melodies didn't move me as much as the smoking popes album um but i definitely get on i definitely get on with this singer a lot better and the variety of of instruments used here and and just the diversity from track to track is is just again a 50 minute album i got to the last track and i was like what is that the whole album you know so many of these albums just flew by they're such effortless listens but they're so rewarding and 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 dense with ideas and performances just brilliant so we're going to talk now about a band that jerry is sort of synonymous about he's they've he was described as you know the fourth member essentially once he started Mm. working with them um you may not know them it's a little band known as blink 182 that's Graham playing things down again, like he did on the Nigel Godrich episode. <laughs> Clever, uh, uh, wily old Graham. <laughs> so, yeah, are you a Blink fan? Are you a one eighty two er, as they don't say. Embarrassingly, Graham, uh, on my pencil case at school, <laughs> in Tipex, I had written Blink one eighty two sucks. Oh, yeah? interesting. Maybe that's why we were friends. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's why we were friends. Yeah. Now, don't don't let that uh, don't let that lead you to believe uh, that I had great taste in music because I absolutely didn't. You know, no, <laughs> I had a lot of bands written on my pencil case, and uh, 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 without suck written after them, and they were not not good bands. So so you know, it doesn't reflect well on me at all. That um, 
but I, I've I've never really been able to get on with Blink One Eight Two, and I, I've really I've really tried over the years. Um, you know, we, we, we're going to talk about three Blink One Eight Two albums here, and save one of them. I know these songs really well. I know these albums really well. I've I've clearly listened to them a lot because everything was really familiar to me. Um, which says to me that I've definitely tried with Blink One Eight Two. I, I like I said, I, I want to be involved i want to like this stuff if it's going to be all over the place um but maybe we'll we'll get to what i struggle uh with when it comes to blink 182 what what about you graham you don't strike me as a blink 182 fan no i just remember it being so popular everyone loved them and mm-hmm. i remember being quite pretentious and thinking you know just because their early albums were quite jokey you know, they're kind of like, they're just a couple of dudes having a good time. Uh, and I didn't wow. want to have a good time ever. Um, sure. So, But I didn't even really ever try. So I only knew the singles when I went to revisit these albums. Um, it okay. was only the singles that jumped out at me. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were definitely, you know, there was a big part of our time growing up were these albums coming out. So I remember when they dominated yeah. music press, basically. Well, in fact, the, the strange thing about the um, about their big breakthrough album, Enema of the, Enema of the State, what, what year was that, Graham? 1999. 99. So the first time I heard the big single from that album, All the Small Things, was on Capital FM, you know, in the, in the, in the top 40. So I... You know, in 1999, I was 11 and wasn't into music. Um, so anything I heard of music would be on Top of the Pops or or on the radio. So my first introduction to Blink-182 was as a top 40 pop band, really. And that's that's kind of how they, they, they broke through. I, I don't really... So I have no relationship with Blink-182 as just another band at all. You know, they've always been very, very big with huge pop success, I think. Yeah. I think uh, it's interesting that this is the first album that Travis Barker joins the band. Mm-hmm, I would say mm-hmm. he is the unsung hero of this band. I think he's the very sung hero <laughs> of this band. I think he's the overly sung hero of this band. Personally, so what? So 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 you you were listening to this, really enjoying Travis. Uh, yeah, and and after this, everything he his was in has been a part of. I could always kind yeah. of hear him, um, but all, all have I've always enjoyed his drumming. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean he's he's an amazing. Well, I mean, he's obviously a very good drummer, um, and a very very distinctive player as well. Um, but the, the, it's kind of mad that Travis Barker is on these albums. I, I know what you mean by unsung hero. I do think they're very lucky to have him. You know, he's a, I think he's a real find as, as a musician. To It's like, uh, you, you want to join our band? Fine, yeah, yeah, please do. Yeah, don't, don't let us stop you from, from, from doing that. Because it's like having, it's like having um, Ben Collar from Converge or, or Brian Daler from Mastodon on, on, in, in your pop-punk band. Because he is just... Yeah, he's just an insane animalistic drummer, and and um, I think sometimes to a detriment, like it might harm his his grooves and his groove playing every now and again. 
But every single one of these tracks is just splashed with these these tricky trick shot drum fills and loads of play with the cymbals and it just kind of never stops the the kind of madness of his playing and and also over the course of the we're going to talk about lots of of blink rate two affiliated projects and he's on all of them i think um his playing definitely changes as well with the times and i think i think possibly his playing and his taste in music influences blink rate two's sound and aesthetic quite a bit um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves there. Um, what do you think of Enema of the State, Graham? What do you think this says about uh, Jerry, I suppose? This is Jerry really coming in and taking them to the next level, sort of, you okay. know. that I think after this album, they were just, like, huge. And I think Massive. I don't think they would have achieved that without him coming in and making those guitars... And that bass just sound so big. They, yeah, they, yeah. I, I think I always thought pop punk is quite sort of a small sound, sort of that. Yep. You know, you'd see them playing club gigs and things when you think of pop punk albums, but actually, these are stadium-sized albums. Like everything yeah. is huge, and it only gets bigger. Um, but I thought it's interesting that you could see that from it, this first sort of collaboration even from song one even from dumpweed yeah it's just massive it's 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 really yeah it's it's really interesting you say that actually um because i think it's actually a bit incongruous the relationship between the sound that blink 182 has and the songs that they present because i think there's only a couple of songs on enema of the state that really suit that production style and that are big enough to 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 carry it because for the most part these are 200 mile an hour punk songs and it's almost you almost can't really focus on the sound of 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 the the songs a lot of the time um because they just clatter along at this crazy pace and it's like the songs are so short you know the average song here is like two and a half minutes there's every single track is is shaved all the way back there's no excess there's no fat whatsoever on this album um even the big the two big singles um all the small things and what's my age again it's like intro verse chorus verse chorus middle eight chorus end and that's it you know and they're they're both under three minutes i think those songs but they're so bold with just rampaging from one section to another and I, I i kind of i kind of found it a bit overwhelming to listen to at first enter of the state i've tr- i've tried with this album again many, many many times but this is the first time i've ever gone like wow they just they just tear through these songs and just give up the material they get they, they give up their ideas it's like uh we're gonna have a bit where we go no 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 and then we're gonna have a sing and then we're gonna have a you know it, it's just one section after another just gets sprinted through and it's like wow i mean they they don't they seem to not even care about these songs you know that i think the performance is very genuine it feels very heartfelt um this this album but the, yeah the, the the way they they tear through the the songs is is almost crazy and like you say that the guitars and 
bass. I think I, I think all across these albums, Blink One Eight Two have a beautiful bass sound. I, I I love it. So that is so warm and comforting. But the guitar sound on this, the temperature drops big time. All the previous um, Jerry albums have been really warm and lovely, and enveloping. But Tom DeLonge's guitar tone is brutal, and uh, but it's also got this kind of like soapy, squadgy. Um, quality to his palm muted bits but it's just like massive like crazily huge and chunky and blocky and i kind of it's so distinctive i can't say that i i'm i think it's bad because it's so recognizably blink rate two's guitar tone and you start hearing other bands kind of use their guitar tone going forward but i do i do think this album loses some color it loses warmth and character a little bit do you agree yeah i think as it goes on um it's just lacking sort of any sort of too much deviation from the plan really right a lot of it you know it's not it's not that experimental of an album again it's jerry going in and doing taking a genre and really pushing it to you know the best it can sound with it all being yeah, pop punk. Yeah. every song on this is a pop punk song other than maybe Adam's song starts to yeah. get a bit of like piano and stuff in, a bit more ballady. Um, I I always found I find it hard to get around uh, Tom DeLonge's vocals, and I find mm-hmm. it I think most difficult in this album. He, you know, his vocal yeah. style is is in this album very much at the, the forefront of each mix. I find of the songs that he does yeah. the lead in. Well, my biggest fear and worry about recording this uh, episode, actually, Graham, was that you might do an impression of Tom DeLonge, but you, you seem to be holding pretty strong. Yeah, uh, we're, resisting we'll get there. That, that temptation. Yeah, it's going to happen. We'll get there, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But it is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on tenterhooks. Um, yeah, I, 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 Tom, Tom DeLonge's vocal, Mark Hoppus's vocal as well, are, are, are worth talking about because they do get, I suppose, like Limp Biscuit. This is a band that is huge, that gets massive criticism and a lot of hate. And they always have. You know, that, I think that's maybe why I kind of struggle with Blink-182 from the very beginning as well. Because as well as them being massive and impossible to escape, there's, all, there's just tons of voices saying, this band is terrible, I hate this band, you know. And a lot of the hate gets focused at, um, at their vocals. And I, I, personally, I actually, I've always quite liked their vocals. Um, I don't think they're very good. Um, you know, they're not brilliant singers, but I, I quite like them. But I think Tom in particular, his vocals on this album are his worst. Um, and it's actually not the nasal quality that a lot of people focus on. There's more a bit of a strained vocal fry, a kind of eh thing going on with, with some of his vocals. And it, it doesn't help that they're kind of multi-tracked, doubled up. And there's all these kind of odd airy effects put on his voice as well do you think his voice was very i don't know processed but it was very unnatural on this album yeah i think there's definitely been some passes going over the vocals um i don't know if maybe that's because they were touring so much and his voice was maybe wrecked i don't know or he just hadn't maybe learned proper techniques yet yeah it may yeah he might not be doing his voice any favors with the way he's singing um, I, but I do kind of think the odd sound of his voice, it does fit the general sort of fairly clinical airiness of this album. 
more or less every song has a like military drum breakdown where it gets a little bit melodic um and there's kind of like again i I kind of think just like pointless textualist synths and things like that a lot of the songs will end on this kind of like oh there was a synth playing that's kind of lingering around after the song um and so yeah it's it's just things like that i don't quite understand uh also blink are known as a, a very juvenile band. We're not. We're not talking about um, Jerry Finn did produce their live album, the Mark, Tom, and Travis show, um, where a lot of their kind of more juvenile humour is on display. Um, we're not talking about that because it's a live album and it doesn't really suit what we do. But that is something that they're very well known for. And as the albums go on, they become they mature. But I think it's pretty unfair to call them a massively juvenile band on this album even. Um, I think there's a bit more to them than just being very crude. And I think the crudeness on this album, it doesn't suit them. It doesn't sound very natural. It sounds like they're putting it on a little bit. Do you agree? Yeah, it sounds like they're already starting to think that they need to sort of quit clowning around so much on their records. Um yeah. Clearly, like when it comes to like the marketing and the videos and stuff, there's still a couple of pranksters, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, 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 definitely. And then as they go on, they definitely sort of, I think, you know, they're, they're tired by that and they they want to break out of that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a bit of a shame that I think it's, I think it's, they could have, you know, because what it, what it ultimately leads to is them dumping the pop punk sound. And if they don't like it, they don't like it, that's that's fine. But I think they almost get confused between they they start to equate their juvenile uh, aspects of their music with the pop punk sound, and so they they get rid of both of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so they end up making this totally new sound that's very earnest. And maybe they could have just been a less crude pop punk band. I don't know, but uh, we'll, maybe we'll come to that. What about, Graham, the two big, big uh, tracks on this album? What's My Age Again and um, and uh, All the Small Things? Yeah, they're both just classic songs. I like how All the Small Things is kind of like an ode to the Ramones, that kind of quick, kind of punky, punky 70s beat kind of going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just quite a straightforward album, really. There, there isn't that mm. much to say about it other than it's good. They were really good at what they were doing. They were like, yeah, and because they were so sort of joking around about it and so young, people did sort mm. of say, "Oh, this band doesn't deserve all its success, and they're not real musicians and stuff." But they're they're mm. all pretty incredible on this. Um, I, I yeah, and and as and as songwriters, they they do they do really have it, and I, and I, and I think. Like, I've never loved all the small things, but it's an amazing song. Yes, and um, and the, and I I th- I think it's kind of made its point before the first verse even starts. That intro is just so great. Um, but I do think, uh, what's my age again? I I I I think that song is just amazing. Um, I, th- I just think it's one of the most. I think it's a really beautiful guitar song. Honestly, there's there's nothing there's nothing to it. It's a very simple song, um, but I just think it can actually get me a bit choked up if I'm in the wrong if I'm in the wrong mood. Um, I, I think there's something so uh, I don't know. It, 
it makes me really miss big guitar pop songs. You know, where 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 big songs in the charts would would have a massive guitar hook, and I th- I think obviously we've heard that riff in so many different ways through so many different songs over the years. I just think they do it so well. I think I think it's a magnificent song, a really really special moment. Did any of the tracks that um sort of album tracks stand jump out at you as interesting or um. I, Don't Leave Me, I think, is a pretty great song. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great Mark Hopper's vocal. Um, I suppose uh, Anthem was pretty great. But a lot of the stuff, I, 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 just, I just texturally don't get on with this album at all. I find it to be very very washed out and, and clinical and cold. What about you? I really quite liked uh, Aliens Exist. Uh, th- uh, yeah. Thanks, Tom. Um, uh, they do. They do. He's confirmed that now. Yep. And yep. Uh, Dysentery Gary, I also quite like. Yeah. Okay. That was fun. Um, Graham's very juvenile, so. Yeah. Yeah. Super juvenile guy. <laughs> uh, and the party song as well, because the party song was just pretty straightforward. I liked. Uh, I liked the little. Okay. Before before he had to do these like hundred mile an hour vocals and. They do a pretty good job of uh, making a joke out of the little breaks between between verses and things like that. They'll have these little kind of moments before it kicks into the to the super fast beat. Um, yeah, I mean it's 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 good. I actually think the songs are better than the sound of this album. Yeah, fair enough. Um, what did you think of the next album, "Take Off Your Pants and Jacket"? In terms of production wise, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I always, I always remember this as being the much better album, uh, and and being a, a lot more credible as well. And I suppose, in a, in a way, it is. I do think the production is better on this album. It's a bit they're they're doing so many different things. I I, I think they're not quite given credit for how much maturing they do on on this album. It's obviously like it's got some some classic pop punk songs on it, but it's way less of a pop punk uh, mood on this one. I don't think I think there's not nearly as many pop punk tricks that they're doing, and they're definitely not munching through the songs at a thousand miles an hour like they do on Enter of the State. It is slightly better songwriting, I think. Um, but I I think this has got less of it's got less of a of a brutal overly huge colorless sound there is a bit more warmth to it uh what about you graham i thought it was interesting that this one sort of was the first time that they were some of their problems in the band were showing up some of the tension between uh mark and tom and they were they were really like in competition while they were while they were writing these songs they were sort of like mark Mm. coming and be like here's a song i recorded and then tom be like shit now i need to go and write an amazing song and it wasn't like the spirit of the band was already starting to get fractured um yeah but i think some of the songs here are so strong um it's really kind of a sequel to enemy of the state it's like enemy of the state part two really for me like bigger better yeah you know and yeah better. As better bit more variety but they haven't exactly like lost the blueprint or anything they're not they're not deviating too far away they're just 
sort of expanding yeah. on what they were doing before. Uh, but I don't think they themselves liked it. <clears throat> I think they wished they'd started further jumping away from pop punk by this point. But I think they're they might have, They feel like they've. They might have felt like they compromised a little bit on this one. Yeah. Um, I really like this album. Well, okay. Wow, cool. I, I thought um, that I wasn't going to like it as much as maybe the next album, but actually this could be my favourite. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to say with these albums because, look, I don't love them. I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think any of them are brilliant. Um, but this one, I would give this album a bit more of a listen back in the day. I'm definitely familiar with a lot of these songs. I also think that Rock Show and First Date, those they're they're first class uh, singles. Particularly, particularly first date. First date is so good. It's just I, I love it. And and um, I think um, Travis Barker's drumming is at its best on both of those songs, where he's 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 showing off, and the, and it works for the song. It doesn't feel like he's going overboard or anything like that. He finds his pocket and manages to to really show off within that within that very tight pop song. Um, but it, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's just it's just crammed full of good stuff. But there is a bit of a different there is a bit of a different songwriting approach. I mean, I suppose the the most uh, the starkest example of it is "Stay Together for the Kids." What do you think of that one? Yeah, that's quite a sort of them really maturing and starting to to sing about you know more deeper deeper stuff. And then even on a song like writing level as well it's it's more stuff is coming in there it's not just your standard pop punk stuff i i hear you graham i hear you um but i i I actually think it's a bit of a i think it gives the impression of of maturing a little bit i think it's them kind of drawing a bit too much attention to their desire to mature um so what jerry gives them on that song is this very stark dynamic contrast between the verses and the chorus. Um, so they're like, what we're going to do is we're really going to bring it down. Travis Barker's going to play in a bit of a hip-hop style where they take all the bass out of the drums, which we hear a lot of as, as, as this discography goes on. And it's going to be very, very quiet and in the chorus, insanely overly loud. Um, and they're talking about very serious stuff. And I think they just go a little bit too far with it. I think there are probably better examples of them writing more grown-up songs elsewhere without it being that kind of obvious. Um, songs like Roller Coaster, Reckless Abandon, even um, or, uh, Every Time I Look For You. Those are, just, those are just like good rock songs that don't have the silly lyrics. Um, and kind of straight just enough from pop punk that it's not so generic it sounds a bit more like them um i don't know am i being unfair there no i think that's fair um did you catch the sort of cure influence in a story of a lonely guy i think it's the first time in this production discography where you get a couple of pop punk bands or rocky bands sort of really going for that cure sort of in between Mm. days kind of sound not the last time Definitely not the last time, but no, no, I did, I did feel that. Though I have to say, I did think "Story of a Lonely Guy" was 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 probably the worst song on the album for me. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, look, that that extra production um, quirk with with the Cure stuff worked for it. 
and I thought that was a nice moment. I just think the the song itself was was a, again a bit a bit try hard to be more serious and and more grown up. You know, it's like wearing your dad's suit or something. It doesn't fit. You know, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I, I did all. I did by the end of this album, kind of think, oh, it's not that much better though, is it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just think it. I think this is just like solid craftsmanship. I think it's best shown yeah. in those two singles. I think when they were recording, um, they played two like joke songs to the record label people that came to hear how mm. they were doing, and they record label was really annoyed at them, um, and they were sure. like, they were like, write us some pop songs now. And then they went off and, you know, one of them wrote First Date and the other one wrote The Rock Show. I like, you know, they were like, yeah, I'm going to write a pop song. I'll write the best one in the world. You know, and I love it when bands do that and they end up writing, you know, some of their best songs and they probably, they probably hate it, you know, because they didn't mean it or, you know, they were just trying to fill out a quota. But I think those two are the best kind of songs on the album. Yeah, they're they're very strong and I, I love them. Even back then, I, I you know I I really really like those songs a lot, um, but yeah, we're still kind of lacking color on this album. I think, you know, we, we we've sort of drained Jerry's warmth away a little bit, and it, it's kind of like, where did that go? Would that not? Does it just not suit Blink One Eight Two to have that that really warm enveloping sound? Um, yeah, I, I'm 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 really missing it at this point. I'm wondering where it's gone. But hey, maybe it'll come back later. I do. I do think the keyboards are a bit more noticeable on this one than uh, yeah. uh, Enemy of the State, and um, that's Roger Joseph Manning Jr., who is the sort of co-founded the band Jellyfish, and Jerry likes to bring him in um, through loads of different okay. artists and have him as his sort of keyboarder to add texture and stuff. Um, before we cool. move on, I did think Shut Up was the start of them experimenting a bit with like the drumming is switching up a bit and the textures yeah. as well um but we're gonna do a bit of a time mm. jump now and go to 2003 and this is them releasing their uh self-titled album um i think we'll, we'll talk about what they did in between afterwards because i think it yeah. makes more sense to see where they went but this is definitely a different sound, you know. Mm-hmm. This is the color you wanted. This is yeah. This there's there, no. There's definitely more color on this, and I suppose it's the first time that Blink One Eight Two come come through with an aesthetic. You know, they've they've got a a mood or a color palette or something that they're trying to convey. It's not just like here's our best twelve songs and let's let's produce the hell out of them um you can definitely tell that they're trying to they're trying to convey a mood and there's 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 probably there's just a bit more to invest in on this album i think i'm not necessarily saying it's a thousand times better um but it's it's about more than just the songs i suppose on this album do you think so yeah i think this album is them also trying to prove that they they are credible songwriters and musicians in mm-hmm. their own right. And I think just like before when um we said that about Super Drag had tripping every key, yeah. you know, it it 
working well for Jerry. I think this works really well for Jerry as well, showing, mm -hmm. you know, his production in such a good light. Yeah, well, you can you can see he's really, really working on this album um, and really helping them to put these songs together because uh, these, these songs definitely sound constructed. A lot of the time they're quite reliant on the production um, and they're kind of definitely enhanced by the production. I suppose like that, um, the, 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 the uh, uh, Dave Navarro album we were talking about on the Rich Costi episode, this album is very produced. There is a lot of production on it. There's lots of sounds and things going on and odd odd moments and, and field recordings and voices and, and backwards bits and bass drops and just ton you know, just a just a ton of stuff going on. Um but yeah, it, it's kind of you know, beyond Mark and Tom mellowing out a little bit. Uh, and 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 definitely taking a bit of a different songwriting approach, more or less cutting out the pop punk altogether here. Um, Jerry holds the songs together, and Travis really influences the the texture and the mood of these songs. Do you think so? Like it's really weird how much the drums come into play to establish the the aesthetic of this album. I think when Travis joined the band, he was the first one to say, look, we need to switch this up and start changing tempos, if that's okay. And they were like, yeah, sure, man, whatever. <laughs> so I think, you know, as each album goes on, he becomes more of a sort of creative um, sort of force in, you know, maybe they've mm. written the songs, but then he'll come in and sort of choose, you know, a particular tempo and way and beat to sort of push it further. So yeah, this is def this feels like, you know, this is the album where you can be like, whoa, he 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 is just as much, if anything, more important than those two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't I mean I I I couldn't say that he's a big songwriting presence on this album, but he definitely brings a huge amount to the sound of it. Yeah. Uh, and just the texture and the feel of it. Um because I think, you know, everybody always goes on about how much Travis Barker likes hip hop and it's like, I'm sure he does, <laughs> but you can, you can, you do, you do feel a bit of a hip hop influence here and they, they build a lot of these songs through percussion and beats and rhythms. It's the first time you really hear songs that, that, that groove out that are really just based around a groove. There's a song featuring a vocal, um, from Robert Smith from the cure all of this and it's actually uh so what was it called all, all of this yes yes and there's a great transition from the previous song easy target which i thought was one of the better rock songs on the album um the riff in it devolves and devolves and changes texture and there's a really great transition from that into this so it's you know nicely sequenced and well put together but beyond it being like oh wow a robert smith vocal um that is really a mood song and 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 it is really based around a groove and and just kind of like vibes out on a on a on a feeling more than anything else it's not like the catchiest track on the album but it's one of the one of the better ones that you feel you just feel them getting into it you feel there might you know there's a bit of an atmosphere in the studio for once maybe yeah i think it's interesting um, with that one as well that they sort of sent the music over to him and they were worried that he was going to say no. They thought almost he definitely would not be interested. And he, if anything, was like, like 
he's like, look, nobody will know the music you'll make in the future. I like what you've sent me now. This is great. And I think oh. it sort of gave them this confidence of, yeah, we're on the right path. You know, we're not always going to be known as you know, these these silly guys. Dickheads. <laughs> um, I think we just need to talk about the best song of all time. Oh well, okay. Yeah. So we're we're talking about a different album then. No, no, we're we're talking about <laughs> probably the best uh, rock single uh, released in the last twenty years. Um well. and that's "I Miss You." Right. I thought you might be saying that. Yep. Uh, I can't. I, I mean, I I I, I would you know. We've all got our different tastes, but I think it's definitely at, near the top. That track it is it, it really is one of the better it is what is one of the tracks from that time um, from from back in two thousand and three. It's it's quite a thing to see them pulling it off as well as they do. Where are you? And I'm so oh, sorry. I cannot sleep. Yeah. I cannot dream tonight. Yeah. Love it. Edit point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll edit it back in. I'll do it twice. <laughs> Loop it, mate. Yeah. Um that's a weird song. And it, it that I think that was the first single. It might be the second single. But that, I remember that coming out. Second single. And being sort of like, oh, they want to try something mm. else. Uh yeah. And fair play to them. It's it's such a good pop tune. It's so different. You've got that weird like little marching drum beat. Um you've yeah. got the it's very sort of up front bass i think the production on that is yeah. incredible oh yeah it's yeah it's a real it's a real construction that yeah. it, it's put together so perfectly even you know and 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 it's where they work their vocal relationship really well when i say i like mark hoppers's vocals it's when he comes in with those those much lower deeper tones um there's something so nice and warm about it, and and Blink One Eight Two really needs that that warmth and and pleasantness. You know, I, th- I think he does it really well on the previous album with uh, online songs, that intro, Josie, you're my, you know, it instantly you just you just feel that that like chilliness that Blink One Eight Two has melt away, um, and when he comes in to as the counterpoint vocal on the chorus here, it sounds so great, and it's very musical. You know what I mean? That they 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 really use it as an element of the song. Uh, it, it it's bigger than 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 just them having this song idea. You know, it really makes the track work well. Um, and yeah, I mean, you mentioned the drum sound. Travis hitting really really lightly with the brushes on the drums. This song just dances around so pleasantly. There's so many uh, 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 elements to it that that just jump around and, and give it energy without it being this very busy sounding song such a simple song really i suppose i mean i'm not a songwriter i'm guessing if it's written by tom delong and mark hoppers it's a fairly simple song <laughs> um it's, yeah it's a, it's it's you're, you're very proud of them aren't you to to see them pull, pull this song off so well yeah just because also they don't you know they don't necessarily have the self-belief and confidence you know I think they believed Aww. what the people were, you know, critics were saying about them and stuff. So it's nice to see them really strike out and try something. Um, yeah. It's funny to see it happen on such a big scale, like just the amount of money that was behind them. Um, I think yeah, they were like yeah. the biggest, one of the biggest rock bands, you know, of their time. 
really. So they just they pumped so much money into this album and promoting it and sort of they tried to make yeah. it a real event. Well, uh, it, it was a pr- it was a big deal at the time, and that money you're talking about, I, I miss you, is where you can really hear it. You know, it's it's the way that when they bring in the little string section, it's just it's 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 marvelous, really. Um, the lead single for this album was "Feeling This." Do you remember that coming out? Yeah, I do. Um, apparently, it's got flange drums. I don't know what that means. I just wrote it down as a little note. <laughs> It's that it's that thing where it's like the you feel like the drums, the bass on it gets turned up as they come along. Yeah. It sounds like they're kind of like playing in a tunnel for a little bit. And they, there's, I suppose that is what that kind of says is here's our like fun pop song, pop, uh, pop song that isn't about first date or whatever. You know, it doesn't have, it doesn't have like a silly subject matter to it. It's about you know, it's about conceivably just being in love with someone and wanting to have fun or whatever whatever they're talking about on this their lyrics start to become a bit vague at this point um but also it's a very produced song there's lots of stuff going on with with the, with the sounds the way it's mic'd up they've got that bit you know um uh faith faith felt short this time smile fades in the summer there's that bit where Tom is mic'd from really far away and he's really sh- shouting it out to this mic that's on the other side of the room and you can hear the drums are really unrefined at that point um yeah there's just there's just loads of stuff it's a very kind of spazzy all over the place song while being a, a pretty well put together song um it kind of says a lot about this album in a very short amount of time as this as this opening statement out there in the world um and it had a very different look to the video as well. It had this kind of indie movie look to it. Like it was all just like filmed around LA and stuff. Uh, yeah. I, do you think that's a good song or a, do you think it's a rubbish song? <laughs> no, it, it, I think it's testament to that song that like it's in my head now. As soon as you say it, you know, I've got that bass ringing through that bass line yeah. and sort of the chorus going through. And yeah. Yeah, it's a good song. Um, I thought obvious the next song in the album was quite interesting it just being kind of like post-hardcore i really it gave me a bit of a new metal feeling actually yeah i I thought this that that opening riff could be like a like a poppier stained riff really um yeah i mean what do you what do you think of i suppose we can sort of talk about a lot of the songs in this album all at once like they have they have kind of two approaches where they They've got their their rock songs and their slightly more strange songs. Yeah. What do you think of their 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 upbeat, loud rock pro, uh, approach on this on this album? I I quite like the sort of sheer sort of loudness of this album. It feels right. like everything's turned up to max without actually having to turn everything up. I know that Jerry likes to sort of record stuff through multiple amps and things like that and that's how you achieve mm-hmm. these sort of warm crunchy tones and it sounds like it's just working really well on mm. i thought i could hear that really in down right yeah yeah another single that's like so heavy yeah um i see the thing is like like you can tell they you know we'll, we'll talk about boxcar racer in a moment but i think that's got a lot to do with the rock sound on this on this album um and it, I suppose it, it's quite, to put it kindly, I would say it's, a, it's quite aspirational. <laughs> you know, you, you can tell 
it's like, uh, you know, we would like to be writing, I suppose, Fugazi-sounding songs, like you say, post-hardcore-sounding songs. And actually, I think they pull off a fairly poppy post-hardcore sound quite well. Um, uh, but I suppose they're just not very interesting songs, you know. Uh, there's not a lot to them, definitely not lyrically. There's virtually nothing to some of these songs. Um yeah, I don't know. It's it's it, it just feels like the attempt at maturity they've got nothing to fuel that. You know, it's it's kind of they've replaced the youthfulness with I suppose nothing really. Um as far as things to invest in beyond the actual songwriting. You know what I mean? There's 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 no real like oh, now these songs are really very personal or these songs are really looking out at the state of the world, or anything, you know what I mean? It, it, they, they do go quite vague all of a sudden. And so you're, so you're really searching these songs for something to get into. So that they do manage to establish this aesthetic through the production so well saves the day a little bit with, with some of the more up-tempo songs. Um, I did want to say, possibly before we move on, their third single from this, or maybe even the fourth single, uh, Always, mm. that's just a great song. Yep. That's a really, really good song, and I've completely forgotten about it. Very underappreciated these days. That's like new wavy, isn't it, with like synths and... Yeah, Very. it's nice. Yeah, yeah. I, again, it's, 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 um, it's Jerry bringing in that nice, cure, uh, new order kind of, kind of sound and, and just making it work really well. Um yeah, I just thought that's actually a really lovely song, and it and it makes and it makes good use of Blink One Eight Two. You know, it does. It's not like it, you, you could just give it to any old band. It uses the raw material that is that band and puts it in this poppy new wave punky sound really, really well. It's a lovely song. I thought. Did you hear the song uh, "Violence"? I heard it. Did you? I, I feel like that might. I could be wrong, but I, there was one where there was sort of weird, like finger clicking and sort of hushed jazzy vocals, and then it sort of went into a oh. different type of song. Whatever song that was, that was really bloody weird. Um, I like. I wrote. I wrote super standard chorus. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the one. I think you know the bridge was all sort of odd, and then it went into like a regular chorus, and then it go back again. Um, okay. All right. But yeah. I. I do like this album that they sort of experimented. And I think Jerry comes off the best because it just sounds massive and and big and fun and interesting and textured. Um, Mm. But I do think that Take Off Your Pants and Jacket is just a better album. It's a bit more cohesive. It's more cohesive, you know. this, This is a bit like half of it could have been worked on a bit more maybe. Mm-hmm. But that that said, I, I think the self-titled has a a clear identity that Take Off Your Banks and Jacket doesn't have. That that sounds a bit like all there is to it is good songs. Yeah. Whereas the the self-titled has that 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 colour to it and that 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 something you can see and get into. Now, Graham, I, I could hear it on the recording, and I don't know if the listeners could, and I don't know if you could, to be honest, but when you started singing I Miss You, I was genuinely upset. 
<laughs> I was very disappointed. It's the main thing. As soon as we, as soon as we got into doing this episode, doing the listening for it, and I knew that we were going to be doing that album. I don't. I'm pretty sure I've never heard you sing that before. I don't. You know. I mean, there's no reason for me to think that you would sing that on the podcast. But as soon as we decided to do Jerry Finn, I was like, Graham. There is no chance that Graham will not sing that in, <laughs> in that Blink Road Two voice. I don't know why I came to, but I was completely right. You did it the first opportunity. Yeah, I got. mean, it's really hard not to do it again. So you know, I won't. But yeah. So yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm tempting fate. But but this time I know you're not going to do it. I've just got that feeling. <laughs> it's too early in the morning. It's too early in the morning for that. I have missed Graham though. Um, yes, thank you very much, Jerry Finn. Um, that was sort of like the '90s into the early 2000s, wasn't it? That was that was that was. I mean, what a glorious time that is for for pop punk. I mean, that's 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 really the era. What, what you know what was nice about about Jerry as well. You know. He is known as Mr. Pop Punk, but it is a, it's some choice cuts. You know what I mean? It's a it's a few it's a few lesser known albums that sort of d- develop the sound. Then he's got that handful of really defining albums, um, without it feeling like he's the Pop Punk factory. You know yeah. what I mean? Graham knows, <laughs> I mean, knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> Is there is there anything is there anything you carried on listening to? I wouldn't imagine. Um, so. I actually did listen to Fastball, uh, Make Your Mama Proud, uh, quite a few times. I really like that album. That's a good. That's album. a pretty good album. Yeah, it's 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 very good. Yeah, there's there's something about just like the 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 honesty of those of those albums. There, I've, they're just so straightforward and simple and beautiful. Um, yeah, love them, love them. Um, Obviously, that's that's part one. We're going to come back with part two of the discography for, for Jerry. There's a lot left to talk about, even though there's not a huge amount left of his career, unfortunately. Um, so next next week is an excellent episode with some key albums discussed. Um, if you want to hear that uh, episode, I would recommend subscribing to our podcast production-wise. You can find us wherever you would reasonably be able to expect to find a podcast and subscribe to it. Um there's also other ways to keep in touch with us, Graham. What are the best ways to do that? Hit us up on Instagram. Uh, you can find us at ProductionWisePod. And yeah, likewise, give us a like, give us a follow, you know, go for it. Please like us. And you can also find us on Spotify. Now, why, why do people want to find us on Spotify, James? Um, I didn't really hear what you said there, Graham, but I assumed you said something about Spotify. So I'm going to fill in the gap. <laughs> fill in the gap. Uh, and say that you should uh, look us up on Spotify because each episode that we put out is accompanied by an excellent and extensive Spotify playlist. It explores the the far reaches and depths of our producers' discographies. Jerry Finn is 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 no exception, and I would say this is one of the better ones. I wouldn't. I would. I mean, I'm only saying that because it's the one we're talking about this week. But it's good. You know, give it a listen. It's great, and it's what well, it must be like nine hours long. It's huge. It's got. It's got to be. <laughs> Um, also do us a favor, uh, uh, do listen to the podcast, obviously, but it would be nice if you would give us a, a, a positive review of some sort. That'd be nice. Nice to read. It's nice to read. The only one I can find is that my brother-in-law wrote and he said, uh, it's actually very, it's very nice. He said, we're sort of top blokes. We know our stuff. Um, that's the sort of thing. It doesn't need to be any more imaginative than that. You know, that's, that's, that'll, that'll do, that'll, that'll, that'll do my ego, the world of good. Um, Okay, I'm going to stop effing about. We will see you next week for part two of Jerry Finn. Um, Have a lovely week. See you next Tuesday. Have a good one. Take care, Graham. Bye. Bye. I miss you already. Bye.